All right. So we are going to start the screw tape letters in in three weeks. Going to start the screw tape letters. Um, I've ordered online ones, and I've ordered ordered a hard copy for my dad. Uh, it's easy to find. Um, I wouldn't necessarily try to find it at a bookstore. Um, you know, one of those square buildings people go into. Uh, look online, and you're going to find it very easy for like eight or nine bucks. In fact, I think I saw one for 99 cents, a used one. But I don't want somebody else's notes in my book. I did that a lot. In, what? Yes, sir. Ah, it's free on Audible. Yeah, if you if you like that, I I I I've tried to do Audible. <clears throat> I think it would have been better. My the only book I've tried on Audible because I listen to podcasts all the time while I'm driving and I do just fine. Listen to talk radio and do just fine. But I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to a book on Audible because Linda does that all the time. She doesn't like to read. And um, so I got a suggestion of free books, and so I, I downloaded War and Peace, and, um, and I thought, I thought this will take me a while. I like that. Um, I've read War and Peace like three times. I have no clue what the Audible is about. I, I think it's the same book. I don't know. I can't tell. And um, I've had people suggest to me that maybe that's not the one I should have started with. Yeah, I shouldn't have started with something different. But I love War and Peace. It's like three separate books. But Okay. Um, yeah, so get that. Start reading. Start making notes. Doing whatever you can. And and, um, and uh, we'll start this. I'll announce it uh, this weekend coming up. And uh, we'll put it together and make sure that, uh, that you know what week it is. Off the top of my head, I don't know the date. But um, I think it's 21st. That should be right. Does that sound right? I think that's right. So that's what we'll do. Okay, um, the last two weeks we've been talking about what? Oh, I'm also supposed to announce we, they need help in the fireworks stand. So here's what's happening. So we, had, we have a stand in Falcon. We were supposed to have one in Fountain. The one in Fountain, it's, um, uh, the, the state won't let us have the one in Fountain. So they took all the product from Fountain, and they're moving it to Falcon, and we've always had a Another stand in Falcon, like right kind of across the road in front of Safeway. We have the one in front of Walmart. So I said, well, we'll set the one up in front of Safeway because we have the, the rights to that. You, you, you buy rights for a few years kind of thing. And we have the rights for the one in front of Safeway. So I thought, well, we'll open that up. It's kind of always done okay, but it's not that good of a good deal. Um, <clears throat> the, the Falcon stand, because there's very few stands, the Falcon stand is already every single day breaking records of, of anything we've ever done. We're the number one selling fireworks stand in the nation. Okay? It's nonstop, every day, all day long lines, right? So we're trying to get the Falcon one, so they finally put a, uh, the other one in Falcon. So they put a tent up today. The fire marshal just came out and said, just start selling. I'll be here back tomorrow kind of thing. And uh, so they, th this is before we even really had the registers and the product and all the stuff, and people were standing in line holding stuff. And so my wife was out there, and she texted me. She said, as soon as the fire marshal said that, we have been nonstop since then. We haven't even slowed down. And they didn't even really have, like, all the tables and products set up. But it's, it's already doing um, amazing. 
uh, amazing big. And so, yeah, it's huge. This is how this is how all of our departments do ministry. And and who knows if we break all kinds of records, maybe just maybe the departments will tithe to the building fund. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's about the condition of their heart, really. I think. So so Linda Linda texted me right before service and said, please tell people we need help. Um, doing that. So, you know, just being out there and just bagging stuff or help walking around with people to help them know what fireworks are, you know, people can't read um, the price tag on things. It's weird. And um, (laughs) yeah, they're Chinese. So, so if you can go out, if you can go out there, you know, even just for an hour or two, just kind of sign up and go out and and help at any time. I think Lynn and I are going to be at one of the stands tomorrow. I think she signed us up to be out there. Um, I know my wife probably like all day. So I don't know. I don't remember. But I have the evening shift. I used to be, so I've been doing fireworks since 1991. <laughs> I used to be at the stands all the time. Even our stands, uh, I, like every day, all day long, just sit out there and help. And if I can do anything. You know, last year, um, I, I went twice, I think. I don't know. I just, I feel like I'm more important than that now. I feel, yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> no, last year, we went the la- I went the last two days, and there was a, an hour-long wait for, for in a line in 100-degree weather. I don't understand. I don't like fireworks that much. I don't even... I, I don't I probably wouldn't even stand in line if a bacon restaurant opened up. I mean I might, but maybe if it was like bacon and massages, I might. I don't know if that's a thing, but <laughs> so so what what have we been talking about the last couple of weeks? I'm running the race, what else? I heard stuff over here. The journey of life. The race of life, the journey of life, it's all the same thing. Um, what else? All of that. What are you, what are you grabbing onto personally with some of this? What did, what did Rick lay down here for? None of those. Huh? Yeah, but why? Explain that a little bit more. What, what did he? What was he laying down for? Because, because of sin. Yes. So repentance. Repentance is so important in our Christian walk. Re- repentance does so many things that are almost even passive. We don't even realize it. One of the basic things that happens with repentance is. You have to, at some level, you have to humble yourself. If you're going to repent before God, you have to humble yourself and acknowledge that, first, there's a God, and second, that you need Him. And here's the big one, that you're a sinner and you need to be forgiven. You, that's what repentance, repentance brings all of that to the table. That, that, that it, this isn't, we're not the ones in charge, we're not the kings, we're not the rulers. Repentance keeps that in your mind, in your focus. Jesus, I'm a sinner, and, and for, me to, for me to be anything but a sinner, I have to have you to forgive me and, and your blood covering me. 
You've got to constantly keep that, keep that. The reason that you can get to a point where, where you, you completely fall away from God or fall into to, to huge sin is because you're not, you're not in repentance regularly. You start, and, and, I, and I saw this a lot growing up. This is one of the things, this is one of the things that I, I've mentioned before. When I became a teenager, I really stopped serving God. And, um, and, uh, and, and, I, and I pushed against. And when I, when I left home and went to the, to the Navy, I really had an anti-God, anti-church mentality and heart. But I've mentioned this before. I did not realize I really didn't have an anti-God mentality. I just didn't really totally understand him. And what I, what I was confusing is I was confusing um, the way I had seen people in churches over the years serve God or not serve God, but say they were, you know, the hypocritical stuff or the legalism stuff. I had seen that so much that I thought, I just don't want to be a part of this. I can't be a part of a fake. I can't. Now, I, I'm lumping everybody together. I, there was great Christians around me growing up. That's not what I'm saying, okay? But the church, for the most part, I saw so much. Um, uh, we say one thing and then we do something else. And how do you... How do you fall into that sin? And plus, plus, this is the same time when all of the, when all of the uh, fakeness was starting to happen in, in Pentecostal Assembly of God churches, um, like Jimmy Baker. My goodness, that dude was a fraud. And, and Tammy Faye, all that stuff. That's, that's what I'm seeing. And then, and then like, as I, was, as I was going into the Navy, and right, right about that time was when Jimmy Swaggart had his first fall. And then a, a few years later when I was in Bible school is when he had a second major issue and then everybody just kind of wrote him off, you know. But and, and there was this, this thing isn't real, it's, it's fake. It, and, and, and there was another part of it that I just couldn't reconcile. You know, we had all these rules. This was sin, this was sin. Everything was a sin when I was growing up. Everything was a sin. Well, if you can't do this, and if everything is a sin, and it's inevitable, you're going to have a, a major failure, moral failure, and breakdown, and something. And you're, if you're going to do this in your life, then what's the point? What's the point of this? There was a, a major moment for me. I know this was big for my dad too, but we'd gone to this church in Central Texas, and we had moved from there, and the uh, pastor of that church. I, I, he was fairly good friends with our family and, and my father. And and um, I don't remember, my timing is a little off, but a, a, a few years later, a couple years later, we get a phone call that he had committed suicide. And you think, if he can't do it, who, who do I think I am? And so my mentality was, forget it. But what I didn't realize was what I was, what I was actually pushing against and resisting from was human beings' attempts and hypocrisy and fakeness and failures and all that kind of stuff. Because there wasn't a lot of, um, in Pentecostal churches back in the 70s and 80s, there wasn't a lot of grace. There was a lot of rules. There wasn't a lot of grace to go with it. And... Uh, and, and, I, and I didn't have that balance. 
So I tried to put that balance in there and, and understand that. Um, as I became a youth pastor, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to now teach and preach this, and I'm trying to figure this grace stuff out because I wasn't, I wasn't full of a lot of grace when I first got ministry and preaching. It was all just the rules because that's all I knew. And then I began to realize, wait a second. Jesus, Jesus didn't take all of his time and energy to come to this earth, put on human flesh, go through the, the horrors of the brutality of the crucifixion and the, the brutality of, of going to the cross and everything so that he could condemn us and catch us doing a bunch of bad stuff all the time. He could have caught us doing bad stuff and condemned us without sacrificing himself. The reason he sacrificed himself apparently was because of something else, which is that he loves us. That he doesn't want us to perish. He doesn't want to catch us doing all the bad stuff. In fact, there's a scripture that says that the Lord, that, that, um, sorry, that grace covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't say forgives. This is New Testament. It says it covers a multitude of sins. To me, that's almost, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stretch it a little bit theologically here, okay? But, but work with me on this. To me, that's almost like Jesus is kind of turning away a little bit when he knows we're sinning. If, our heart really is after him. If our heart is after him, but we're just, we're just not getting this right. We're making mistakes, but our, but our heart's really after him. His grace covers that until we figure it out and get it right with him and we repent. Okay, he doesn't forgive us. And we have to repent to be forgiven. Right? That's just my, if, I, if, I, if you feel like I'm twisting that a little bit, then arrange it the way it works for you. Um, but, but, great, but grace covers multitude of our sins. And so I've really tried to process this sin, repentance, and all this kind of stuff. And here's some of the things. I think this running the race is the best example that we have in the New Testament of the importance of not sinning. Okay, Sin separates us from God. It pushes God away. And, And what it does is, so we're covered with the blood of Jesus, right? To sin, you have to resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and you have to resist that that protection relationship covering that the blood has. In other words, you have to kind of like push yourself outside of that blood covering. I'm not saying like mistake kind of sin. I'm saying like Hebrews 10, uh, 26. If you go on sinning willfully, there no longer remains forgiveness. Okay? That's a pretty strong statement. That, that, that flies very strongly in the face of unconditional eternal security. Right? So what that means is willful sinning means your heart has begun to turn somewhere. Your heart has begun to, to push against the, the authority of God and the fear of God, and you're starting, like I've said over the last couple of weeks, you're starting to fear something more than you fear God or desire something more than you desire God. And so you begin to push away. Okay, And then now there's no longer forgiveness. Until you get your heart right, which is repentance, which has to demand humbling yourself before God, and turning from your your wicked ways. Repentance demands that you turn and go the other direction, not just ask for forgiveness. Okay? When When you really humble yourself, let the Holy Spirit break you down and humble yourself and then truly repent, then you then the blood covers you again. Right? Are you following me with that? Okay. Now here's the thing with this. Let's go back to... Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. 
What's the active ingredient in that part of the sentence? Let us strip off every weight that slows us down. What's the action involved in that sentence? Stripping off the sin, right? So the, uh, the, the stripping is the um, action, and the subject is the sin, right? So what, what is the active ingredient that is stripping off the sin? What? I'm hearing stuff. The blood of Jesus gives us the opportunity to have it forgiven, but the blood of Jesus is not stripping off the sin. Yes, it's you. You're making a decision to strip off the sin. It's not just going to happen. Okay? The, The blood of Jesus doesn't strip the sin off of us. It forgives us of that sin. But even the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus is not applied to our life in a passive sense. It's an active thing. How is the blood of Jesus applied to our life? Scripture tells us through faith. Jesus' faith? No. His faith put him on the cross. And I don't even know if you could just term that faith. I think that was more intentional love. But it's not, it's not your faith that, that forgives me or covers me with the blood. It's my faith. I have to actively appropriate the blood of Jesus Christ over my life in faith. It doesn't just happen. Because if it just happened, the moment Jesus died on the cross, everybody would have been forgiven. But the reason that only some people are forgiven is because they have to make a conscious decision to, <clears throat> at some level, and I do believe this can look and feel Very different from person to person. The amount of revelation can be different from person to person. But each each individual has to make a conscious decision to submit themselves to Jesus Christ and his authority. Okay? Now again, I don't think everybody, I don't think that's the same for everybody. The Jesus side is the same, but how we get that and understand that and have that revelation is, is different from person to person. Our brains are different. Our personalities are different. Everything. How do we understand submission to that authority? That can be very different from person to person. But, it, but the same has to be. There has to be that submission to Jesus. And you have to make that decision. Now, how do you come to the knowledge to make that decision? Somebody has to tell you, and then somebody telling you alone doesn't get it done. The Holy Spirit has to ignite it in you. And those are the ingredients, and that always has to be the ingredient. Okay, how are they going to know? Now, I, I have heard some stories, and I've known some people that, that um, uh, like, found a Bible and started reading the Bible, and, um, and they had the revelation, and they prayed and accepted Jesus as their Savior. That's, that's very rare, okay? We do see even that context in, <clears throat> in, in, uh, Muslim, uh, in the Muslim context where they have dreams, and they see Jesus inviting them in their dreams. But even all of that, they're, they're almost always, at least in my experience, they've had some kind of some knowledge of something somewhere. I have heard a few stories where that doesn't exist. I don't know. But Scripture tells us how are they going to know unless somebody tells them, and how are they going to, and how is somebody going to tell them unless they're sent? Right? So there has to be. Somebody's got to tell you, or you've got to get engaged with the gospel somehow, and it's almost always somebody saying something to you. And the Holy Spirit ignites it, and then you have to make a decision. Do I accept this, or do I reject this? If you accept it, 
you submit yourself to Christ, you accept that he's Lord, then you um, can be saved. You're saved, right? Even if you haven't prayed the prayer exactly the same way, I, this is things that I've argued with people over the years theologically. Well, you have to do this, you have to do no, You don't. You, you, you accept that Jesus is Lord over your life, and you're saved. Well, what if you didn't pray a sinner's prayer? Well, show me a sinner's prayer in Scripture. Right? In fact, Philip talks to the, to the Ethiopian eunuch, and he goes from Isaiah to, to Malachi. And then uh, Ethiopian says, well, there's water right there. Can't we just get baptized? Philip's like, all right. We don't see anywhere in that story where it said, and then Philip led him in a sinner's prayer. Okay, now, guys, I, I obviously believe in a sinner's prayer. We pray that all the time around here. I get that. And what that does is that gives context for what they're praying and how they're praying it. That's why I like people to repeat that prayer because it gives them the basic context. This is what I'm doing, <clears throat> right? Now, part of the reason I say that is because I don't think churches um, too much nowadays, they don't put enough emphasis on that moment of salvation. I've talked to so many people. I'm talking to people that go to evangelical churches in this town. And, and they'll say, I went to that church for five years, ten years. I never accepted Jesus because I never had the opportunity. Nobody, I just thought I was a Christian because I went there. Because I went and I raised my hands when everybody raised their hands. I sang the songs about Jesus. I liked Jesus. I liked the stories. But I never said, Jesus, I submit myself to you. I want you to be my God. I never said that. I've prayed with people in this city with, because of that. I tell them, well, then let's do that right now. Well, do you think I'm saved? Well, let's just do it now anyway. I don't know if you're saved or not saved, but I do know this. Why don't we just do that right now? Have the conversation. Talk with somebody. Right? So, now let's come back to running this race with endurance. All right, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. We have to make the conscious decision to strip off the weight that slows us down in this race, in this race called life. In other words, you can be slowed down in this life. Have you ever been slowed down in this life? I have. I can give you specific moments in time when I was being slowed down because of my own Stupidity, rebellion, pride, it's always me. Nothing else in life can slow you down. The government's not slowing you down. Okay? The, the, your financial situation is not slowing you down. The privilege you were born into in whatever race and color you are does not slow you down. You slow you down. I, I think I've mentioned this before, but Anthony, when Anthony and Mary were a children's pastor, Anthony came in to me one day and he'd He'd been doing some electrical work at this apartment complex. And he had to go into this guy's apartment and knocked on the door and he, he heard something he thought was come in. And then he said, so I kind of peeked in the door and there's this guy sitting on the couch just smoking pot. And he's like, yeah, come on in. He w didn't get up, didn't answer the door. Didn't, didn't, Anthony wandered around until he found the electrical box he needed and did all this stuff. And the guy never got off the couch just sitting there smoking pot. And, and, then, and then he left and he asked the guy some questions and the guy just looked at him like, I don't care who you are. And, and he's like, okay, forget it. And left. And he told me later that day, he said, 
He said, you get one shot at this life, and that's the choice that guy's making. You get one shot. You are wasting these years. Wasting them. Now, me on a personal level, I have felt like that at different times. I'm not, I'm not pushing forward like I need to. I'm not running the race like I need to. I'm kind of I'm lazing. I'm, um, I'm just kind of, if, if you want to use the running the race thing, I'm drafting. I'm not, not really running intentionally. And, and to really think, what does that mean? I'm going to run with intentionality. I'm here for purpose. My life is about the Lord, and it's for purpose. Don't waste it. You get, you get a small window. If you get a long life, maybe 70, 80, 90 years, you get a, a, a large window, or maybe a small window, say 30 years, small window. But how long is 30 or 80 compared to a million years in eternity? And we get one shot at this. And we've spent so much time and energy focusing on ourselves, on us. I just watched a, a great um, video uh, Phil White sent me, and man, I would strongly suggest you guys watch it. Um, it's on YouTube, and it's called um, Sheep Among Wolves. And it has to do with the church in Iran and the, and the move of God in Iran. Iran is the fastest growing church in the world right now. And it's almost all women. Women are the pastors. Women are the leaders. And they say this great statement in there. I want to I throw it at all my complementarian friends that don't think women can be in ministry. Goobers. I, the reason that the women are the leaders in the church in Iran is because they're the most persecuted. They're the most attacked. They're the most abused. They surrender their life and say, my life is is busted and ruined and destroyed anyway. You know, they're, they're 25 years old and they've been raped since they were three. And they say, I'm just going to surrender my life to Jesus. If, he, if I get killed tomorrow, so be it. I'm better off. And they become the leaders in this, in this amazing thing. And the men have no problem with it because they understand it. They understand the, the suffering and the sacrifice. I've mentioned this before and I've... I've got a, um, and, and I'll mention this a little bit this weekend, but you guys have heard me talk about this, but the, the, uh, the Assemblies of God in Africa, we have, in the Assemblies of God in America, we have 16 fundamental beliefs, 16 core doctrines. And in Africa, the Assemblies of God have 17. And the 17th one is suffering. There's an expectation of suffering in the church. Guess what? Only in Western society only for a couple hundred years has there not been suffering in the church's existence. Every other people group, every other culture, every other time in history, everywhere else on the planet, there has been suffering in the church. The true family of God. And here's the thing is sometimes that suffering was, uh, was put, oftentimes that suffering is put upon them by the religious. They may have called themselves the church like the Catholic church, the Dark Ages, they, they persecuted people that read the Bible. They persecuted people that prayed. They persecuted people that talked about Jesus outside of the church. We, we in America don't know what persecution is, but we're getting there. Hold on, you'll be there pretty quickly. Um, it, the suffering is, is something that is, is ingrained within 
the gospel. When you read Acts, just every time you come to suffering, write it down. You'll realize it's every story. There's suffering. And, and we're not used to that. We're not. And so what happens is, is we stop because of the lack of suffering, because of the lack of, of, of this direct um, accountability to our everyday relationship with Jesus. We've been lulled into a laziness to where we don't fear the Lord and sin moves in very strong. Anytime the church has moments of, of peace and tranquility, sin becomes strong and prevalent. And then what does sin do? Well, sin first, it slows us down. What's the next thing? Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Sin will also trip you and stop you. And that's what we were talking about last week with Rick. It actually will stop you in your race. You're not running the race anymore. Think you are. You're still living life. You're still going to work. You're still doing all the stuff. You're still breathing air. And so you assume, well, I'm running the race. But you are dead stop still in your spiritual journey, <clears throat> which is more important than your physical journey. Your spiritual journey is the most. And that's what these, these uh, women in Iran talk about in this movie. That you, can't, you can't see their faces or anything, but they talk about this, that what's this life? This life is nothing. I'm just going to serve Jesus. Why waste it on just trying to live for ourselves? And then they talk about the American church some. They say the American church has gotten so um, lazy and, and uh, selfish that sin doesn't mean anything anymore. We can sin because it doesn't matter. We don't fear God. We don't, we don't fear God. We don't care if anybody gets saved. We're not really submitting ourselves and worshiping God. Oh, we may be involved in song services and cool this and the new, you know, the new elevation or the new whatever. And, and, but, but we're not worshiping. We're not serving. We're not witnessing. We're going through motions that are very American, Western, humanistic. It's based upon me today. What do I think? Whatever. And man, they tear this apart in that video. I, I was deeply moved by this thing. I would strongly suggest you watch it. Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Let us run with endurance. God has set a race before you. He has set a path before you. Now the path may not be immediately easily recognized. It's not a, it's not a super highway. To hell, Scripture says that, it's a path. And it can be overlooked if you're not careful. And once you get on the path, it can be challenging on the path. Stay on the highway and you're good. I, 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 I talked about this the other day. Me and my son were talking about it. <clears throat> so um, I'm doing a bike ride in New Mexico uh, for missions. In September, I hope it's cooled down by September. But, but um, my son was asking me, "So, how are you getting ready for this, Dad?" And I tell him, "I, you know, ride this. This is my ride routine. And I, I know if I'm at this place, you know, two months out, and because I've done this before, I know where I need to be. This, all this." He said, "Well, are you tracking pretty good?" I said, "Yeah, I'm tracking fine." Um, the guy that works at the district office, Sean, he's going to be part of the ride. And I, I told my son, I said, "I'm going to take him, and we're going to go riding up uh, Mount Herman Road." And he said, Dad, that's a, that's a mountain biking road. That's a, it's a rocky dirt road. That's not road biking. I said, here's the thing that I found uh, when I rode across Colorado is all these road bikers were giving me a hard time 
because I'm a mountain biker. You can't hang with us when it gets to 50, 60, 70 miles. Okay, we'll see. And up Mount Herman Road is about, so it flattens out probably 12 miles and then maybe another three or four, and then you ride down into Woodland Park. But it's straight up for that 12 miles, very rocky. And I told my son, if, if, if I can do that very comfortably without really just killing myself, I can ride 75 miles in one day with no problem on a road. It's not the small path that is difficult to find. It's a super highway. I can do that all day long. And the road bikers told me all the time, no, you can't do it, you can't do it, until we got on the road and they could not keep up with me. Not any of them. One time in our entire ride were they anywhere near where I was riding. Because I chose the small, difficult, hard path where every single inch is difficult. Every inch you're working hard at. You're working hard at. You get on the flat road, sometimes you can not pedal. You can't not pedal on a, on a hard, rocky path. You not pedal once, you fall over. You get on the highway, you can just get behind somebody and just eat a sandwich. You say, can you really? I did that. We would stop every now and then to have food and stuff. I just stuck some in my uniform so I could eat while I was riding. And they, make, they gave me a hard time. You're not supposed to eat while you're riding? Whatever. I ate watermelon while I was riding. Popsicle, I had a popsicle while I was riding. Here's the thing that I don't think, we don't think like this, guys. In our Christian walk, we don't think like this. We think, how can I make it as easy as possible? And, and we have books written about it. We have all kinds of stuff. Five simple steps to Christian living. And we do those five simple things and things go okay for a little while, right? I had somebody years ago tell Lynn and I the secret to a good marriage is a date night. Have a date night once a week. I'm like, and? No, no, just a date night. You're an idiot. I remember the first date night Lynn and I went on. Our kids were so little. And these ladies in our church asked us if they could keep our kids. And I, I mentioned one of these ladies the other night, she made, she made Sarza for me when I was fasting. Uh, her, she was like in her late 60s, the other lady was in her mid-70s, and then there was another one like that was right around 70. And all three of these ladies, they would beg us all the time to keep our kids, keep our kids. It was just, uh, Emily wasn't born yet, it was just the boys. Keep our kids. And we're like, we, we don't really do anything or go anywhere. We didn't have any money. It's not like we were going to go out to dinner or something. And so we didn't do anything, and so they were begging us, well, just let us keep the boys. So one night I told Linda, let's just call them up, let them keep the boys tonight. What are we going to do? I don't know, we'll go sit at Sonic. And so we did. We went and sat and, and shared an ice cream and a Coke at Sonic. And we sat there for like two hours. Like, how you doing? I'm good. How's life? Well, you know everything about it. I'm with you all the time. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I've got about 50 stories I can go into my head right now. 
Yeah, there's a lot more to marriage than date night. Guys, that didn't even make sense. Skip, skip all the date nights and pray with each other every day. Just pray with each other every day. I mean, there's a lot of things. We, we try to make everything so simple. If we just do this, everything will work out. Guys, nothing in life works that way. Nothing does. Get on the path. It's going to be difficult. Get on the path. Choose the path, is the way Scripture says. Choose the difficult path. Don't go down the highway. Choose a difficult path because every step you're taking, not only are you progressing in the race, you're progressing on the path, but you're growing stronger. Every single step is growing stronger. Do something. Do something every day to help you grow rather than just be. Don't choose the things that are trying to help you be more comfortable. Choose the things that are more difficult. I started doing this years ago. It's a little thing. It doesn't mean anything except to me. And I've been doing it so long now <clears throat> that I'm so OCD about it, I can't not do it. Anytime we're, Lynn and I are going somewhere and there's an escalator, I will take the stairs if there are stairs. I don't take the escalator. Linda does. She has bad knees. I'm not picking on her. I guess I am a little bit. But she, she goes on the escalator. And I take the stairs. Well, we were in um, Dallas, in the airport in Dallas one time. And you can, we come around the corner, I see an escalator, and I think, I'm going to take the stairs. So I come around, and I start up the stairs. And it's like five stories straight up on these stairs. By the time I, this is Dallas. The humidity, it is, you're wading through a river going up these stairs. I get to the top, I'm sweating like crazy. She gets off, she's like, how are you doing? I'm not, I'm good. I'm dying. But here's the thing. Every time you make a little choice like that, spiritually, not necessarily physically, although you should make those choices physically sometimes. Get up and walk around the block. If all you're doing is sitting and watching TV, get up and walk around the block. You'll be better for it. But spiritually, choose some things that you know are going to challenge you, are going to push you. I had a guy in my office this last week that is um, interested in, he's, he's new to our church here, and he's interested in I'm doing ministry and getting ministry papers and things like that. And so I was talking a little bit about it, and I said, there's, there's this path which will just get you to the end goal. I said, but here's something I would like to suggest. As you're going down the path, choose certain things that you know will challenge you in ways that are outside your scope a little bit. Whatever that is. As you can apply that, every one of us here can apply that. Choose something that's just a little more different, difficult, challenging, something. Choose something. If, um, if you don't like to read and screw tape letters on Audible is the way you would normally do it, get the book instead. Well, it's just easier. I just don't like... I, I'm, I'm just, this is just an example, okay? Some people, uh, the way they process information, it's so much better if they do Audible. I get that. That's not what I'm saying. Challenge yourself a little bit. Do something that says, I'm going to choose the, the path rather than the highway. Because it's almost a guarantee at some level, if you're always choosing the highway, you are making mistakes. You are missing God's plan if you're always choosing the highway. I'm not saying every single time it's the most difficult option. Sometimes that's just dumb. But, but choose the more difficult path. Push yourself. Do something to push yourself. So he says, how do we, how do we run this race with endurance? How do we do this? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Okay? So now let me ask you some questions. 
how does, I want you to tell me, and you can use your own experience, you don't have to tell us if that's what you're doing, but give me an example of how sin will trip up your race. Give me an example. Very specific, very, um, very specific, detailed example. How sin will trip up your race. So give me an example, specific, not sin in general, but a sin. Okay. Okay, so let's let's stay on that. What are some other um, things that pornography does to you? Because pornography, any addiction is a is a chemical, an emotional, and a spiritual. There's all that going on at the same time. Your brain begins to release um, chemicals anytime you're doing anything. Okay, so there's a chemical in your brain. There's chemical reaction that be, that becomes it, it becomes part of the addiction. Your your body chemically needs this. Uh, there's the emotional you know, visual, that kind of thing that's connected to it that, that, you, that you begin to need. There's also the spiritual. Satan is tied into that. Jesus didn't ask you to do that. Satan did. And so Satan is, from the very beginning, Satan is tied into that. He's got that, he's got that fiery dart of a lie in your life, and the more you allow that, the more he throws more darts and more darts and more darts. Um, I did this years ago here. It's been a while since I did it, but I took a, a big board and had a bunch of darts attached to, to strings, and I threw a couple of them at the board, stuck it in the board, and they were sin, 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 sin. And gra- I grabbed those darts and, by the strings and just pulled them out. Threw more in, kind of became a little more difficult. I threw enough darts in that board. These are small little darts, but I threw enough darts in that board. I grabbed the strings, and I could pick up the entire board. Now you're controlled. You are completely controlled by this sin. You're no longer in control. Satan is in control through the sin. But what are some other things that come along with um, pornography. <clears throat> yeah, and this is something we don't process a lot in our Christian walk because it's spiritual first, but the the um, giving into the to the temptation, giving into the chemical overwhelm. Any temptation, not just like chemical temptation like um, alcohol or drugs or something like that, chemical addiction, uh, pornography falls in the same thing, but it can be any like a very passive type of addiction mentality. It begins to bring a lethargic mentality into your existence. Part of the reason is because if you're not in control anymore, you're losing your purpose and your direction, which is the core of, of our drive. The, the reason I get up every morning is because I have a reason to. What is my reason? Different than yours, but I, I have a reason, that's purpose, that's direction, that's drive. And when you are addicted to something, it starts to take that drive away because you're going to wake up and not be in control. That addiction's going to be in control. Okay, so that's one thing. What else does pornography, pornography specifically bring um, into life 
your existence. Yes, it affects how you look at other, the opposite sex, Wh whichever gender you are, and you're, well, I don't want to limit it. it, whatever direction you're going in the pornography, it begins to change the way you look at those humans. Those humans become less valuable, and they become, they start becoming um, uh, articles, objects. They're no longer people, they're no longer, longer humans, and it can take away, I'll use male to female mentality, you're looking at uh, women all the time with pornography, it begins to take away the beauty of womanhood, and they start becoming a sexual object rather than a creation of God that, has, that is very unique and is very um, uh, wonderful within itself. Women, I'm saying this as a man, Women, to me, are the most amazing thing. They're, they're the most confusing, but they are the most amazing thing. There's, I really, there's a lot of, you know, I do a, I do a lot of teaching and, and stuff on marriage and men and women and everything. And Lynn and I have worked on this for years where we do all these, this, this teaching and stuff like that. And we've studied it. And we've read the books. And we've done it together. We've done all this stuff. And then there's times when I just think, who is this woman that is married to this man? I don't understand her. She's, she's, a, she's an amazing, beautiful creation of God. And pornography will take that away. I'll tell you something else that we don't think about that will do this. Lying, consistent lying, will take away um, the interaction of humanity the way that it's supposed to be. You start realizing, you start seeing people as, as the con rather than a human that you can interact with. And then what happens is, you start distrusting all people. People didn't change. People didn't become worse. You just trust them less. Because why? Because you're the problem. You're the broken part of this. You're the liar. You're the deceiver. Same thing that, um, that deception of addiction like pornography or, or, or drugs or anything else. You get so much in the habit of deceiving others that you forget even who you are in the process of that. And the deception of you begins to, to erode your concepts of humanity. Now think about this. That is one of the basic core strategies that Satan uses to hurt people. Because if you can't see somebody else as created in the image of God, eventually you'll stop seeing yourself as created in the image of God. And all of that begins to tear down on all kinds of levels. And then you become jaded to humanity. But you did it. Humanity didn't. I don't, I don't have a lot of hope in humanity. I think I've explained this before. This, this can be confusing, I think. But I don't have hope in humanity. I think humanity's broken. I think all of humanity's broken. And I think we're, we have a propensity toward evil that is astounding. And human beings can do some of the most horrific things imaginable. You could think all day long and not come up with some of the stuff that human beings do on a regular basis. I don't have hope in humanity. I had this discussion with, with a youth pastor I had years ago. He said, no, he said, without hope in humanity, why are, we, why are we even pastors? Because we have hope in Jesus. I, I don't have hope in human beings. Human beings will fail you way more than they'll um, uh, do good for you. They just will. 
That's just human beings. I'm not trying to be pessimistic or nihilistic, okay? I just, I've been doing this too long. I know human beings are too broken. But here's what I have found. When they allow Jesus Christ to be in charge of them, they can do anything. They can amaze you beyond anything you could come up with. So that's why I don't put my hope in people. It is amazing that Jesus loves us. I don't put my hope in people. When I meet somebody, and it's not like, and, and Linda's different in this. We heard and I've discussed it ad nauseum over the years. She immediately begins to trust people. I don't do that. I don't distrust people. I just don't, I just neutral. I just, you're a human. <laughs> Whatever. I don't care. I don't trust or distrust. You can gain trust with me, but I also don't distrust you. If I see you doing something horrible or wrong, I don't dislike you more. I didn't like you to begin with. I don't dislike you more. Guys, I'm, I'm being a lot more honest than you know here. I don't, I don't immediately like or dislike people for the most part. I just take them at face value. It's who they are. They can tell me anything they want. This is who I am. This way. Okay, I'm fine. Whatever. That's why if somebody, somebody tries to impress me, it doesn't do anything because I, I don't care. I'm not trying to be impressed or disimpressed. I'm just going to take you at face value. Now, here's what I'll try to do, though, is I'll try to introduce you to Jesus. Because I know that if you accept Jesus and you begin to let the Holy Spirit work in your life, you can do things that will astound you and will astound everybody around you. You can, do, you can walk on water. You can do miracles. You can do anything. But here's the thing. You're going to always have to keep your eyes on Jesus because the sin is always crouching at your door to trip you up and stop you. And that's when you get stopped. Is, and this is another reason why I don't have a problem helping people that are down and out. Okay? People that are, we, we just had this discussion at the journey the other night, how difficult it is sometimes to help certain people, and specifically people you've been around with for a long time. And here's a big one. Help family members that have, that have abused and disabused you for years. Help family members. That's hard to do. But here's, here's the way I try to look at it is, I didn't have a lot of, I didn't really have any expectations from you from the beginning. So if you fail, you didn't change in my eyes. I'm just going to walk on aside you. I'm going to do the best I can to help you. All right? Now, if you walk in Christ for a while and you fail, that's different. We're going to approach that subject different. We're still going to walk in grace, but there's going to be some more accountability to that. If you are a leader in, in the faith, you are a leader of other people and you specifically fail within the context of abusing that leadership, I don't have any patience. For example, pastors that fall into moral failure, that they've been doing this for year after year after year while preaching the opposite from the pulpit and abusing people with their authority as a pastor, I have zero patience for those guys. I know I'm supposed to have some, but I have none. Because I know I know what it is to walk in these shoes. And I know I can make a decision tomorrow to hurt somebody with leadership. or, or I don't think falling into moral failure is the same thing. That's a different context. I'm saying specifically harm people with their leadership. I don't, I don't have patience for that. You knowingly did that. You used your, your authority as, as a minister of the gospel to hurt people. I don't have patience for that. But 
somebody just comes in and they're not a Christian, they're a drug addict or whatever, I don't expect them, even if they get saved, which I hope that they do, even if they get saved, I don't expect them to be off drugs immediately. We're going to walk through that. We're going to do life together. We're going to figure this out. Um, a prostitute, this is one that bothers people. A prostitute comes in off the street and gets saved. I don't, I don't expect immediately her, for her to figure it all out and clean it all up. We're going to work at it pretty hard. We're going to put people in her life that, that these women can walk along with her and help her. But the idea that she's just, boom, I'm done. I'm never going to walk back to that again. And that's, a, that's a little naive, and that's not what we see really in scriptural context. Okay? That needs to be changed, and it needs to be changed quickly. But to, to assume that you're free of everything immediately, I understand that the blood of Jesus can do that, but I don't think that we as human beings always know how to appropriate that. And we've got to figure that out. Cussing. I've, I've had people that get saved, and, and it's difficult to stop cussing. Right? So what do we do? We be patient. We had this guy get saved in our last church. He, was, he ran the telephone company in all of um, northeastern Colorado. And he had grown up Catholic, and he, wasn't, he was nominal. I don't even think he really did anything. But, but he got saved. I was, I was sitting in a coffee shop, and I was talking to him about Jesus, and he, he got so mad at me because I was talking about Jesus. He got up and left. The coffee shop owner had just recently got saved and started coming to our church, and she really started working on him. Like two weeks later, he shows up on a Wednesday night. He comes and sits down the front, and his wife's like, and she's bubbly, and they both were cheerleaders. That was weird, too, but um, in, back in college is my age. But um, he just sat there like this and stared at me. I, I thought, this is fun. Two weeks later, he gets saved. Okay, About a month after that, we went on this um, ducky boat trip. You guys know what a ducky boat is? It's not whitewater rafting. It's much more dangerous. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's a tiny little rubber boat that you sit in. It's about as long as your legs, and you sit in it. And we were going down three and four level rapids on this boat. I didn't know what we were getting into. Some guy signed us up. There was about 20 of us from our church that went. And it's, and it's one of the three times in my life when I thought, I'm going to die today. I went down these falls, got in the bottom, and got stuck at the bottom of the fall on the ground under the water. And it was pushing me down, and I couldn't get out. And I'm standing there. I can see the water hitting above me, but I couldn't get out of this down push. And um, obviously I did because I'm here today. But <clears throat> And I literally am under there. I think I'm going to die. Well, we were all doing this, and these guys were, it was scary. Some guys just, they were almost in tears. They wanted to quit. This was much more than we had thought. The water's cold. We're all wearing rubber suits because the water's so cold. And, and the guide that is taking us, he's on kayaks, which is easier and better and stays on top of the water better than these ducky boats. And they're out in front of us and doing stuff, and they keep hollering the whole time. Don't lose your paddle. It's $40. Don't lose your paddle. It's $40. That's all we kept hearing. Though. You know, you come up and you're drowning. You come, it's $40. Don't your paddle's 40 yards downstream, you know. And uh, this, this guy that had just been saved, now he's an amazing Christian. He, he moved to Illinois, and, he, and he's a, he helped his church plant five other churches. He's the kind of guy I spent all the time developing, witness to him, discipling, and then he goes and helps another church. I, it's, it drives me crazy. But he don't even say a month. And he comes up out of the water at one point, and he just kind of hangs on to the side of his, his little ducky boat. His paddle's kind of floating off. And, and there's 20 of us from the church about, and, and the guy 
Don't lose your paddle. He's talking to him specifically. Don't lose your paddle. It's $40. This guy just loses it. And he starts screaming, I've got bleeping $40. I've got $40 in my pocket right now. Bleepity, bleepity, bleep. And all these other guys in our church are like, You know, and I kind of go over toward his paddle. I'm like, he's a new Christian. He's new. He's, he's new. You know, I pick up the paddle. Guys, we have to put some of that in context. Sin, sin is going to trip us up. But the way that we keep that from happening is you keep your eyes on Jesus. And Jesus, <clears throat> here's, here's the thing I don't think we've processed before. Where is Jesus in our daily process of life? Where is Jesus? Coming from New Testament Scripture, where is Jesus? He's in our hearts. There's actually only a little bit of Scripture that says He's in our hearts, but it's, it alludes to it enough. It says the Holy Spirit is in our hearts. but where, where is Jesus? In Colorado Springs, where is Jesus? What? Okay, he's sitting at the right hand of God, the Father, interceding for us. Um, let me say it differently, because those are all good answers, but they're not the direction I'm going. <laughs> so, if Jesus came down to this earth right now, and he came to Colorado Springs, where would he be walking and doing? Where would he be hanging out? <clears throat> the bars? Homeless people downtown? Hospitals? What? I I don't think I don't think he would not be in the brothels. He wouldn't be participating, but he's yeah. Which is I think what you meant, right? See See here's we're we're all uncomfortable now. Um <laughs> He'd be he'd be I think he'd be walking up and down Washington DC streets a lot. I think he'd be headed for Portland, Oregon right now, maybe Minneapolis. Here's the thing, and I'm not, I know God is, I know Jesus is omnipresent. He is at the right hand of God the Father. Holy Spirit is the one with us. I think that tells us that Jesus isn't necessarily walking with us. It's the Holy Spirit that's walking with us. But yes, he's in our hearts too. I get all that. But I think if he physically landed on the earth again and walked around, I don't know how many churches he would actually visit. I'm not saying he wouldn't. I don't know, I can't speak for Jesus, but, but we only see him do that a little bit in the book of Acts. And, and when he did visit the churches, most of the time it didn't turn out well. He did go to the synagogue. And one of the times he went to the synagogue, he kicked everybody's rear. You understand what I'm saying? He t- <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, he did go to the synagogue. He read the scrolls in the synagogue. But he also intentionally, systematically paused, went outside, took the time to make a whip, which is, in, which is premeditation, came back inside, and whooped everybody in that area. Threw their tables over, slopped their money all over the place, opened the cages to their animals. I don't know for sure he did that, but I think he did. Um, and, he, and he hit people with a whip. 
So do we want him coming into our church? I don't think he would whip us. I don't think he would whip us. But I also know that I think we have such a westernized, humanistic, selfish approach to Christianity that we may not even know that he might. We may not even realize sometimes that he's just not all that pleased. What are some things right now with the church in America that Jesus is not pleased with? What did you say? Yes. Jesus is not woke. He doesn't like woke. Sin? The sin that's so prevalent in the church? Acceptance? And not even, not even the big sins like abortion stuff. I'm saying that the ones that we always gravitate to. What, what about all the things that Scripture talks about, about just um, wrong thinking, getting, getting drunk at parties? and You know, he specifically says that. Gossiping, lying, that kind of stuff. Jesus is not okay with that, and, and sometimes that is so rampant even in the church home. Yeah. <clears throat> what do you think I think Jesus' number one thing he would be upset about in the American church? Yes, sir. I think that is the foundation for it, but, but for me, that's, that's, to me, that's not, that's not the main thing. Yes, not caring about the lost. Which brings us back to what Rob, Rob said. How can we worship Jesus week after week and not tell anybody about him? Isn't that worshiping him with our mouth but not our, our life? I think the number one thing Jesus would say to the church is, where, where are all the people that are getting saved? In America. Not, not other, certain places around the world, but where are the people getting saved? Don't you think he would at one, at some time, if we had a personal conversation with Jesus, don't you think at some time during the conversation he'd at least bring it up? Think about what I'm saying. Right? Okay. I think that's a great place to stop. And um, hopefully that'll ruin your evening. Pray for that.
let's uh, pray for those two. I, I love Malawi. I love the people of Malawi. I uh, speak a little Chichewa too. Um, what else are we going to pray about? How is the Holy Spirit working on you? Yes, ma'am. And the government is the, These are the equivalent of concentration camps of the Jews. They're very similar. And, and we know for sure that there is at least seven of these camps, that there's over 100,000 people in each of them. And, and brutalize them too in the process. Yeah. All right, we are we are overdue. Let's pray. God, we 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 commit ourselves to you. And Lord, first we ask you just to cover us with your blood. And Lord, I ask specifically for me, forgive me when I'm just so caught up in my own life that I'm not paying attention to your path. That I that I slow down in the race or even stop in the race because I'm so focused on me. God, I ask you to forgive me and wash me clean. Cover me with your blood, Jesus. Lord, and give me new direction, new purpose every morning. Every morning I'll, I'll desire to be filled with your Holy Spirit, walk in your power, and desire to tell somebody about you. And then, Lord, give me the opportunity. God, I do pray for these people in China. 
God, I, I, there's so many people around the world that are going through the same thing. Many people, groups in Africa, the same thing. They're being destroyed. They're being demolished. God, and these people in China are being put in concentration camps. And Lord, they're your people. You love them. You created them. God, we know this hurts you so deeply. Lord, and I know that your word says that you will hear the cries of your people. Lord, we need to, we need to tell them about you so they know you're their rescue. Lord, we ask you to, to deliver them, save them. God, these, these other countries, Miramar, uh, Lord, anoint, the Burma Rangers anoint the things that you're doing in that country, anoint compassion as they go in there, Malawi, anoint compassion as they go in there, and the gospel that is moving through Malawi already. God, we thank you for this. God, we pray for our missionaries and missions all over the world. Lord, and we pray for ourselves. Help us to see ourselves as, as the catalyst for the gospel in Colorado Springs. That we are, we're the hope. We have it. Lord, help us to share it. We commit all of this to you. We commit all of this to you for your glory and in the name of Jesus. Amen. Man, if, if anybody asks why we were so long, uh, Al was the last one to say something. So, all right. We, we will see you.